I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. We're going to be in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 28. Uh, this has been our summer series, and I know summer has ended, but we're finishing the series today. So Acts 28, we've been studying Paul this summer, and uh, we're finishing up today. We're going to look at a couple of verses, chapter 28, verse 1, and then also we're going to look down to verse at verse 30 and verse 31. Acts 28 verse 1 says, Now when they had escaped, that was from the shipwreck that we had seen last week, that then they found out they were on the island of Malta. And so we're going to be looking at that just a little bit. But then we're going to move down to verse 30 and uh, 31. And this is after then they've left Malta and have made it to Rome. It says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And we want to have prayer together. Lord, will you bless our time? Help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and may your Holy Spirit just be have a freedom to be able to move, to challenge, to speak to us and encourage us today. We pray your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a comic strip where this fellow was in a big city Traffic was just everywhere. I mean, it was just flowing cars, just going, you know how they do, zipping in and out and blowing horns and people yelling and screaming at each other. And there was a fellow that was at one of the crosswalks. You know how they have the crosswalks. They have a sign that says, walk or don't walk. And it showed him he was a little flustered because instead of having walk and don't walk, it said, good luck. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, Paul is a missionary and you're in chains. And sometimes I wondered if that's not how he felt. Like, God has called me to do missions, and yet I'm a prisoner. And now we see that he's been shipwrecked. And it would be easy to be able to develop a negative attitude, to be able to say, God, you call me, but why have you made it like this? I knew I was supposed to go to Rome, but not like this. Or, Lord, I know that uh, I'm supposed to be able to take care of my family, but how are you going to do that when you don't have a job? You know, and so sometimes it's just easy to be able to look at all the negative stuff and just be able to say it's just hopeless, useless, and we might as well just quit. But what I'd like for you to be able to see today, even though that Paul is a prisoner, and even though things have just seemed like it's just gone chaotic, and they've been shipwrecked, now they've washed up on this island of Malta. What I'd like for us to be able to see is the results of this missionary in spite of the circumstances, how he continued to do missions. And so we're going to start then by, by just kind of looking at what took place here on the island of uh, Malta. By the way, Malta was about uh, eight miles across it. It was about twice that, about 17 miles in length. And so they didn't exactly know where they had washed up. The, they had shipwrecked. There was 276 on this ship. The people on the island of Malta notice them and they come out to help and they, they build a fire because these people, it's raining, it's cold, and so they build a fire so these individuals can be able to get warm. And so they're trying to help them. You know, isn't that interesting? That just shows you that within each person, God has put some types of characteristics of good and bad. And these individuals, even though they're on that island, you wouldn't call them Christians. They know it's right to be able to help somebody that's in need. And so they do. And so they build this fire. And it now, 
we look at the Apostle Paul, here's what the, the Bible tells us here in, uh, in chapter 28 in verse 3. I didn't read verse 3, but it says, as they begin to build that, verse 3 says, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Probably, Paul is probably around 60. So he's probably one of the more older people in this group. Paul's health is not the best. He's had sickness, malaria, just different things. He's not in the best of health. We, all, we know that he's been beat up. He's got scars all over his body. Arthritis has probably set in. And yet, and he's, he's been shipwrecked. He's, it's raining, it's wet, he's cold. Yet he gets up. He sees these people had made this fire for them, and he gets up to, to take care of over 200 people. You need a big fire. And so Paul begins to help gather wood. You know what? He is a servant. He is a humble servant. You know, one of the reasons that Margaret did so well, had such a good relationship with my mom, was there was something in the kitchen that needed done. She just jumped right in there and helped to get it done. She didn't wait to be asked. She just helped. She was just in there helping wash dishes, helping to fix, helping whatever. Boy, my mom, she loved her, and when we come, she wanted her to come. <laughs> she was a servant. George Washington one time was riding on horseback, heard this corporal yelling. He said, what's the problem here? And he had those two soldiers that were trying to get a log out of a creek, and he said, I'm just hollering at these guys. They can't get this log out. <laughs> Washington assessed the situation, got off his horse, put his shoulder in behind the log and helped those fellows, and they moved it. Then he got back on his horse and took off. That corporal hopefully learned a lesson that day. That it doesn't matter how high up you are in rank, you're not too big or too good to be able to get down and get your hands dirty sometimes because sometimes that's what's needed. And the Apostle Paul was willing to serve. And so here on this island of Malta, when everybody else is just trying to warm up, He's serving, despite his situation. Well, then we also see, if you keep reading in verse 3, as Paul put the wood on to get close to the fire, a viper comes out and grabs a hold of his arm, a poisonous snake, and bites him. Well, Paul shakes it off into the fire, and that's where snakes belong. You know, Satan is a uh, representative in Genesis as a snake, and that is his destiny. So it's kind of, in some ways, it's appropriate. And uh, I'm not a respecter of persons, whether it's poisonous or not poisonous. That's kind of my feelings, that they all, that's how they all should be. But the people today have questioned, this is accurate, because on Malta now, today, you won't find a poisonous snake. But, you know, we're talking about 2,000 years ago, and it's just easy over time for something to be able to uh, no longer to exist like that. And so, yeah, poisonous snakes. And you could tell it by the people's reaction because the people recognize this is a poisonous snake. And you know what they're thinking? Because, again, they have a sense of right and wrong. This fellow must be a murderer. And although he's escaped this shipwreck, God's are going to do justice. That's what they're thinking. And this guy 
he's going to have justice done to him. He's going to die. It's a poisonous snake. That's what they're expecting. They're waiting for it to begin, his hand, his arm to swell up, for him to get sick, and for him just to die. It's interesting here because that doesn't happen. Paul's arm doesn't swell up, and nothing. he just continues on, and, it, and people just wait and wait, and then all of a sudden they say, you know what, maybe this guy's not so bad after all. Maybe there's something special about him. Maybe he is God. Maybe he's a God. You know, that happened before in Paul's ministry, but he makes it clear he's no God. He's just a human being. Now, some people think that uh, this is a reason to be able to take up snakes. In Mark 16, verse 18, it says, speaking of the disciples, that they will be able to take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them or hurt them. So some people think that's an excuse to be able to take up snakes, and some people might say, hey, if you read that, don't you want to just pick up a rattler? No, <laughs> not me, because I think the circumstances behind it is just like what Paul was dealing with. It's not that he was looking for a snake to pick up to show his faith. He wasn't trying to demonstrate how much. The snake was just there and bit him. And it didn't stop him from being able to represent God. That's the point. I'm kind of like Wendy Bagwell. When he was singing at a church and they brought out the snakes, and he said, where's the back door? And they said, they don't have one. He said, where do you think they want one? This, the point of this is that Paul was under God's protection. And it was evident that God had his hand upon Paul. He's not through with Paul. He may be a prisoner. He may be limited. But God's not through with him. And that is just, that's just good to know because sometimes we find ourselves in limits. We may be getting older. We may, our health may not be where it is and our circumstances not where it is. But that doesn't mean God's through. And God's not through with Paul. And then in chapter 28, while they're on Malta, the fellow that's in charge of Malta, his name is um, Publius. And so he calls... This is in verse, uh, beginning in verse 7. It says, In the region that was there was an estate, the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us uh, courteously for three days. While they were trying to be able to get themselves a place to winter, this fellow just took care of them. Now, here's his problem. His dad is bad sick. Bad sick. The Apostle Paul takes time to pray, lay his hands on his father, and his father's healed. Well, that just goes all over the island. Now, there's a language barrier. People on this island, by the way, it said natives. The word is actually barbarian. And it's that because they're not Greeks. And the Greeks called anybody that didn't have anything to do with their culture or wasn't like them barbarians. Sometimes that meant bad, sometimes it didn't. But that's what they were called. And so there was a language barrier. But people brought all their sick to Paul and he prayed and people were healed. God just worked through him. And he did that through the, the apostles. And he did that through Paul to help establish his witness. And so we see Paul's compassion. Paul loved people. Although he had a, there was a barrier... When you go back and study through history, many people trace back and say 
that the church or the Christians at Malta, that's where they were, they, they became, uh, the church of a church became established there because of Paul's time. So Paul was there three months. They wintered there three months. He's a missionary. He's in chains. But guess what happens? God uses him and a church is established. People understand God's power and people worship and serve God. Isn't that what, what more could you ask for as a missionary? Now, you might say, Paul, he wasn't free. But nevertheless, he accomplished probably more than what anyone else could have, even if his circumstances were better. Now we leave Malta and they head toward Rome. They get to Rome, Paul's still under arrest. He's going to have to stand before trial, before Caesar. So what, what's interesting about uh, Paul, and so we went ahead and we skipped up to verse 30, and verse 30 just kind of summarizes, and in verse 30 we're told that he was able, he was under house arrest, but Paul was able to actually rent a house. But the, the, the key is that he had to have a Roman soldier with him 24 hours a day. So even though he's able to rent a house, he's not able to leave that house. And he's still under arrest, and he's still chained to a prisoner. So, you know, once again, you could say, Lord, you got me to Rome, but this isn't the best of circumstances. How am I going to be a missionary? Well, you know, it's interesting, because here's when you read through t- chapter 28, the first thing Paul does he sends a letter to the Jewish leaders. He said, have you heard from Jerusalem anything about me? Because he said, I'd like to be able to talk to you and explain this. And they responded, no, we don't know anything about this. But they all come. They come to Paul. And they get to hear the gospel. Paul shares with them how come he's in prison why he's got these chains. He shares with them his testimony. He shares with them about Jesus Christ. Now, many of them reject Christ, but some of them receive Christ. Isn't that interesting? Here's Paul, prisoner, can't go anywhere, and yet people come to him, and he he shares Christ, and many people become Christians because of him. In other words, Paul did not see these chains as a reason to keep him, or as an excuse to keep him from serving God. He just used them to be able to help him to share Christ. In fact, when you read chapter 30, you realize that people were coming from everywhere to be able to hear Paul. Like I said, he didn't let that he didn't let that as be an excuse to keep him from sharing Christ. By the way, while he was also in prison, Paul wrote what we call the prison epistles. And so many letters of the New Testament, Paul wrote in prison. So for example, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, 1 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. All while he's renting this house. All while he's under house arrest there in Rome. And so basically... Being under house arrest gave him an opportunity for the Lord to work through him to be able to give us God's Word, to impact churches. Now those are the letters that we know that he wrote that's in the New Testament. He may have wrote some other letters that the Holy Spirit didn't uh, see fit to put in 
as Scripture. But, so Paul wrote letters and stayed in contact with churches and made an impact in that manner. And then Paul impacted the Roman soldiers. He had a Roman soldier with him 24 hours a day. They took shifts. And so, they, I don't know how long the shifts were, but they would take their shifts and they would have to be with Paul. They would have to listen to him as he dictated those letters. They'd listen to him as people come in and out to be able to visit him. And Paul began to have an impact on these Roman soldiers. So, so much so that in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. Paul was writing to that letter. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Everybody that knew Paul knew that his life was about Jesus Christ. For him to live was Christ. And he was going to tell you about Jesus. You were going to hear his testimony. So everybody knew that Paul was about Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my change and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so those prisoners and their family and others that work there at the palace had become Christians, and now many of them were bold in sharing their faith. And Paul said, so you know what? The Lord has just used my jail time to be able to help me to share the gospel. And then people, normal people, just came to hear Paul preaching and teaching. And here's the amazing thing about it. Paul is under the guard of the soldiers. So he's under their protection. And so even though Rome didn't mean it this way, but basically those soldiers were watching over Paul, and if somebody wanted to kill him, they couldn't. He was protected by them. Isn't that that strange? Here's the government. They're not for Christianity. But yet, they're protecting Paul because there's plenty of people that wanted to kill him. And so Paul can speak and can preach and can say whatever he wants and people come to see him and he's free to be able to tell them about Christ. And nobody is there to stop him or hurt him or harm him. He's protected. And so Paul, his two years in Rome has a great ministry and impacts many. Many people, there's many Christians that just traveled to Rome for whatever, for whatever reason. Many tourists. And many would come to be able to hear and to listen to the Apostle Paul. Now, here comes the question. Acts is over with. So whatever happened to Paul? What took place with the rest of his life? Well, apparently, after these two years, Paul was free. He, he stood before Caesar, before the emperor. And he was freed for just a little bit. And then there was an incident that happened. You may have read about it. You may have studied it in history. Because the person that was the Caesar or the emperor at this time was Nero. You heard about Nero? What do you know about Nero? Oh, Rome burned while Nero was fiddling. Some have said, you know, Rome was getting old and he wanted the older part of Rome to be done away with and rebuilt. He let it burn. People didn't take that too kindly. They were upset. 
so upset somebody needed to be blamed. And so Nero blamed Christians. And if you're going to get Christians, who better to be able to focus upon on the person that's more well known as a Christian than anyone else, which would be the Apostle Paul. And so they hunted for Paul and they found Paul and rearrested Paul and he was brought back to Rome. Nero's having Christians killed because they're taking the blame for what he did. So that's when Paul writes 2 Timothy. By the way, this time he's not in his rented house. This time he's actually in a dungeon. It's dark, it's dreary, it's not very fun. Paul, he writes 2 Timothy. And so in 2 Timothy, in the fourth chapter, Paul writes some, some words, and many times you'll hear these verses read at funerals. But it's Paul's basically his closing words to Timothy. But here's what he says, beginning in verse 6. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Here's what Paul says. Here's the reality. Nero was going to kill Christians. I'm a human being. Death is getting ready to take place. You know, sometimes the Lord will let you know. Some people just kind of sense, I don't have much time left. Life is short. One of the things we know about life, and we've seen it recently, is it can happen, it's changed just like that. Paul said, I, I know that my life's getting ready to end. Departure, a nautical term. He'd just been shipwrecked. So Paul's basically saying, this ship's getting ready to sail. My life, I'm getting ready to leave this world. I understand that. Time of departure is at hand. But one of the things... Recognizing that, by the way, is that uh, he does tell Timothy, I want you to come. If you could come, I want you to come quickly and get here as quick as you can if it's possible. In verse 13, he goes on, he says, bring the cloak because it's cold there. He said, hey, when they arrested me, I didn't have a chance to get my coat. Get my coat for it, please. And bring the parchments. He didn't have a chance to pick up his Bible. He said, bring that. He tells him to bring Mark with him. And then in verse 19, he tells him, whatever you do, or verse 21, excuse me, he tells him, come before winter, because if you don't, it's too late. If you don't come now, it's going to be too late. Get here as quick as you can. So Paul recognizes the reality is he's, his death is certain. But he adds this, verse 7. Of, chapter, of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, I fought a good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Here's how I live, Timothy. Faithful. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I have lived the Christian life. I've been faithful in service. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. My life, my salvation, my service to God has shown that my life is real. When I gave my life to Christ, it's real. My relationship with Christ, it's real. This isn't phony. I lived a life that was committed to Jesus Christ and to Him only. And you could be able to look at His life and all that He went through. And Paul said, I've, I've done it. 
I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I'm finishing this race. So many people, Christianity is a sprint. It wasn't a sprint. It was a marathon. And Paul lived it daily. Every day was a privilege. And he lived it for Christ every single day. During good times, bad times. He had told the Philippians, I've learned to be content in every single situation. Regardless if I felt well, regardless if I had money, regardless if I, well, no matter what the situation, I live for Christ. And then that brings him to verse 8. And here's what he says. He said, finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. He said, one day I'm going to stand before the judge, Jesus Christ himself. And Paul said, you know what? I'm not going to be ashamed because I have lived my life faithfully for him and I'm going to be glad. I look forward to being able to see Christ, the one who saved me, the one who shed his blood for me, the one who changed my life and made it worth living. And Paul said, there's a crowns, there's rewards that await me. But the best thing is being able to see Jesus and to be with Christ himself. You know, as we think about Paul's life, that gets us back to ours. Because just as Paul was just a human being, we're just human. And there's a lot of things that's going on, but the reality is we don't know how long we've got to live. One day our life will be over with. It's coming to an end. You're going to have to stand before the Lord. Can you stand there unashamedly? Do you look forward to being in the very presence of Christ? Can you be able to say, Lord, I live for you. I gave for you. I made a difference for you. Or are you kind of saying, I don't really look forward to that day. It's not because I don't believe in Jesus. It's because I've not done much for Jesus. And I'm not really looking forward to standing before Him. In fact, I'm kind of ashamed how I've lived my life. I've kind of ashamed how I've spent my money. I've kind of ashamed how I've spent my time. How I'm kind of ashamed how I've used my gifts and my talents. You see, the good thing is, your life's not over with. And today... We can come and say, Lord, forgive me. And you can receive His forgiveness. And you can begin to change today. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to start there. Because you, the only way to have real forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not good enough to forgive yourselves or to make it to heaven on your own. You've got to have Jesus Christ and what He's done for you. He's the only one that's lived a perfect life, the only one that died and rose again, and so He's the only one that can forgive. You've got to come to Him. You've got to be clean, repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ. And as a Christian, I know some of you, the cards haven't been dealt too good. That Paul didn't have the best of circumstances, but he was determined to live for Christ. You can too. And you can start today.
Hey, let's take a moment. Let's have prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for letting us come. We're so grateful for your word and the power of it. And today, we're thankful that your Holy Spirit is working in our lives, bringing attention to things that need to change within us. Lord, we each have things that are difficult. But Lord, I'm so grateful that those difficulties are not excuses. That you're at work and you can give us the opportunity to do mission work, to make an impact, to serve despite the circumstances. So Lord, I just ask that each Christian here today would evaluate their life. Lord, we would each rededicate, recommit ourselves to serving and honoring You. Lord, that You would forgive our bad attitudes, our excuses, and help us to live for You. Somebody that doesn't know You, Lord, that You would give them the courage to be able to come and receive You. I pray that You would be honored this moment. Help no one to make excuses and put a decision off, but may today you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.